decision to come and worship Jesus rather than watch some Netflix. Can we make some noise? I'm glad you're here. Hey, church wouldn't be the same without you here. We're glad that you're here with us this weekend watching from wherever you're watching from. We want to say what up to all of our Denver-based locations. We're glad that you're joining with us. What's up, Austin, Texas? What's up, Brussels, Belgium? And can we make some crazy noise for everybody watching around the U.S. at our God Behind Bars campus? We love you guys so, so much. I just want to say this before we get started. Wherever you're watching from, wherever might have brought you to this space, maybe asking some questions, maybe curious about what this church is all about or what faith is all about, whatever your circumstance or situation looks like, whatever life might be throwing at you in this moment, can I just say at Red Rocks Church, we are not a country club for the saved and the religious elite. We are a hospital for the sick and for the broken. And so if you find yourself matching any of those categories, we're so glad that you're here. You're not jumping in or peeking into our party. You're the guest of honor. You are the guest of honor here at Red Rocks Church. We're so glad that you're here. I'm excited today. Per the reg, my veins are pumping with caffeine right now. I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. I want to dive into to God's word today. I feel like I got, a, I got a, a good word and it's easy to come by when you're studying God's word because it is the good word. And so if you're okay, I want to encourage you. Is that okay with you guys? Is that okay with you watching? I hope you're okay with being encouraged. I got a word I think that's going to encourage us because I've noticed a pattern in my life as of recent in particular. Uh, my wife and I, we just um, brought into the word our third child. So we have a, a newborn in the house. And thus, Josh, when people ask me a lot of the times, how you doing? I go, I'm good, but I'm tired. I'm good, but I'm tired. Lean over to your neighbor because I bet you feel the same way and say, I'm good, but I'm tired. What I've realized, though, is that's been a consistent thing that's come out of my mouth for years now. Um, I'm just in a new season. Uh, I got another excuse now to blame my tiredness on a child that doesn't sleep through the night. Um, my rhythms are disrupted. I haven't been in the gym in a coon's age. Don't say that you can see it. Um, you know, life has been disrupted, but for many of us, life's been disrupted for a long time. We went and entered into COVID and most of us worked from home, kind of a dream scenario for what a lot of us would have loved to have done. Yet at the same time, I don't know about you, but I, I, I existed in the COVID experience feeling exhausted. I'm always tired, always feeling drained, always feeling like I'm under the weather, don't have enough, don't have enough energy, um, had uh, energy drinks on subscription delivered to the office and to the house. I'm tired. I'm good, but I'm tired. I want to talk to us this weekend. Those of you that have felt something similar, you're, you're good, but you're tired. Lately, I've been a tired that a nap can't fix. Ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? It's that like soul level tired. No zeal. Anybody that works with me knows Normally, I'm just loud and obnoxious all the time. Don't say amen, Andrew Patron. And I've just felt drained, the borderline depressed, just feel like I'm deflated all the time, just trying to get through the day, trying to be a good employee, good pastor, good leader, good husband, good dad, but I got nothing in the tank. I'm good, but I'm tired. 
And I want to talk to us this weekend, and I want, to, I want to read a passage at all of our locations. You can be seated. I want to read a passage that I think when we hear it, there does something to our soul that just makes us feel like an, like an exhale. Um, but I, I, have some, I have some problems with the text, some tension with the text. How many of you know it's good to have some tension with the text? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, and this is the way I want to set up the framework for today. It says this. It's a familiar passage, and I'm going to read it from the message version. It says, are you tired? And everybody said, yes. Worn out, burned out on religion. Did you know that religion can burn you out? It says, come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Come on, somebody. Not a cat nap, not a newborn baby disrupted night of sleep. Real rest. Everybody say real rest. Drop it in the chat online. Real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, he says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And then he says this, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Today, I want to look into the challenging part of this text because we can read it on one level and intuitively understand it and believe it because we're Christians, and that's what we're supposed to do, Pastor. But I don't know about you, but my life is hard. It's stressful. My job is demanding. I have things that I have to do, and they have to be done in a timely manner. And then I come home to kids that need me, and I have to be available. I have to put my phone away. I got a wife that wants to do date nights, and I'm tired. Life's hard, and so sometimes I feel this tension between, God, I know what your word says, that I can get ushered into this reality where there's this rest for my soul, and that life feels easy and light, and you don't put anything ill-fitting on me, but at the same time, I feel this other reality that, that feels like life is actually burdensome and tiresome, and there's pressure. Preaching is a pressure. It's also a privilege. Um, pastoring people is a pressure. It's also a privilege, and you have all these tensions in life, and, and so I haven't been able to, to truly identify this and so the cry of my heart in the season has been God help me find some real rest how many you know you got to be rested to stay faithful you'll never stay the course when you're exhausted that's why we see burnout in churches and high-powered CEOs and in stressed out relationships where people flee an exit strategy to escape the exhaustion only to find that exhaustion finds them on the other side of their escape I want to pray for us today, and I want to talk about how we find rest in our souls. Jesus, we just commit our lives to you. Thank you for providing a way of escape. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the solution to every one of our soul-level problems, that the burdens that we carry are not too big for you, though they exhaust us. God, I thank you that the the life that you have for us is a life that we can live freely and lightly. It's a, it's a life with life and more life. It's a life fully lived, fully, fully alive experience. And so, God, I just ask, would you help speak to us? God, I have one message, and I pray that you would translate it into tens of thousands of different lives and circumstances and situations that, Holy Spirit, you would do the heavy lifting as I just do my best effort. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your word. I pray that it would edify us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I want to 
I wanna take an interesting approach, and if it's okay with you, I'm just gonna preach the way that God's been preaching to me. Um, this is a message, not that I, I read a book on this, I didn't hear another pastor preach on this, this has been something that I've been trying to mine and discover for my own life, and I wanna set the stage by exposing you to one of the greatest showdowns in human history. It was eighth grade year for Ronnie Johnson on the basketball court. It was the Crusaders versus the Pilgrims. Crown Point Christian Crusaders versus the Lansing Pilgrims. The score was 43 to 46. Everybody says, ooh. Moments left on the clock, and our coach pulls us to the side of the court, and we're, we're trying to figure out how we, the Crusaders, pummel the pilgrims with just seconds left on the clock. And so our, our coach is strategizing. We're getting our juice box. We're getting hydrated. We're getting ready to go. And we're, we, we have this moment, which if you've ever played sports or you've ever watched somebody play sports, there's moments left on the clock. You're the underdog. The pressure is high. Tension is high. Stress is high. People are feeling exhausted. And have you ever noticed how, how many times you look at the scoreboard during a timeout? As if like the score's gonna change well, during the timeout or the time's gonna change or something's gonna change. And so here we are, side court, just looking back at the scoreboard, looking back at the scoreboard and you even catch yourself like drinking your water in a cool way and trying to catch to see if the way that you just drank the water put a point on the board. Like, come on, that was high level hydration right there. You're not gonna give me anything. Not even a few extra seconds on the clock and you're assessing the scoreboard the stakes are high, and you have those moments. I remember having moments looking at the, the little high school kid that's pushing the clicker on the scoreboard, just kind of giving him the, you know, the wink, the, come on, push the button, push the button. Give us, give us an extra shot. You're, you're reassessing everything that you've done throughout the game. Did we score an extra point that they didn't count? Did, 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 did I contribute to us getting in this deficit? Are we ever going to get out? How is this going to happen? We got to make sure that we give the ball to Mike Winsec because he can shoot three-pointers. Get the ball to Mike Winsec, eighth-grade champ. You're assessing all the things. I'm praying in the spirit. I'm going, God, listen, you've healed lepers. You've raised people from the dead. You parted the Red Sea. God, I believe you in this moment that, God, five points is nothing for you. Just put five points on the board and we got this thing. No points, no miracles. And this game for us ended in a difficult defeat, but I'm a champion, so I bounced back. Have you ever noticed that being the underdog is exhausting? Especially after you walk off, your, off the field, off the court, and, and the result ends in what feels like a huge victory, or a huge loss, a huge defeat. It's like deflating on every level. It feels like, I, I don't know how we got here. I don't know how I'm gonna rebound back. But, but being an underdog is, is something that is exhausting on a soul level. Anybody that's been in a pattern or a rhythm of losing consistently knows that, man, it's not fun to be on that team. It's not fun to play the sport anymore. It's not fun to play against those guys because they're taller, bigger, faster, stronger. Being the underdog is exhausting. And it, as I was thinking about this, it made me think about scoreboards in our life. You know, before Christ died on the cross for our sins, there was something called the law. You guys that have been in church know that at the fall, back in the garden, 
Adam and Eve made a conscious decision to do life their way and try to attain the quality of God's life, the righteousness that only God had, the righteousness that only he lived out and exudes perfectly, the fullness of life that was only found in God. They said, we will try to do this on our own with our own knowledge of both good and evil. We will set our course to live a life that is full just as God had. And so... A couple generations later, after man was trying to fulfill the quality of God's life on their own, they were failing. And so through a man named Moses, God instituted something to help level the playing field. God goes, listen, if you want to try to compete against me, be on my level. Let's make sure that the rules are clear on how you live like me, be like me, have my fullness of life. And so he instituted something called the law. And the law was a list of hundreds of rules that people had to abide by to be able to say, my righteousness is in line with God's righteousness. And the people celebrated because they saw, if we can do this, there's great holiness here. The law is good. It is deeply spiritual. But what they started to find out was when God instituted the law, it now became another thing that people had to try to abide by. And so in my instance, it would be Ronnie versus the law. Can I keep par with the law? Can I keep up with the law? Can I beat the law? Can I, can I beat God at his own game and have righteousness on his terms? Can I have fullness of life on his terms? Can I have perfection on, on his terms? But the Bible says something interesting about the law. Romans 5.20, the Apostle Paul says this, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. If you want to know why God gave people the law, he's going, listen, you guys are delirious. You think you can be like me. You were never intended to be like me. It was never the pressure. You were never supposed to compete against the law or against my quality and standard of living. You, you were supposed to just let me be God. <laughs> And, and so what they realized really quickly is that the law wasn't for them to beat or to attain or to achieve, but the, the odds were stacked against them, and it created one of the ultimate slaughter games of history. Like, you want to talk about slaughter rules, people, the, the competition outscoring their other competition, this was the ultimate slaughter goal. Man, trying to live up to the law, realizing that every step forward seemed to be taken away by another sin, another poor decision, another choice that didn't align with the law, another thought pattern, another belief, and they realized really quickly, we can't do this. And the Bible says that even though they kept sacrificing for their sins to make them right again, that the more that they sacrificed, the more they sinned. The more they scored, the more scores got taken away through their penalties, and they realize really quickly, the odds are stacked against us, and it is impossible to do what the law says fully. And so human beings were going, we can't do this. We need to be delivered from this system because it's exhausting paying for our own sins, trying to live right all the time. It's exhausting. Everybody say, but Jesus. Let's continue on because in Romans 5 verse 20, he continues on to set some context. It says God's law was given so that all people could see just how sinful they were, 
But watch this, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Can we celebrate that for a minute? God knew our plight, and he had a solution in mind. So verse 21, it says, so just as sin ruled over people, all people, and brought them to death, sin only produces death in your life. Now God's wonderful grace instead rules. And it says, giving us right standing with God, not as a work of our, of our actions, but as a gift from God. He gave it to us, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the odds were stacked against us, and Jesus said, I, I, I love you too much to let you just live in your delusion that you can be just like me. You were never intended to be just like me. You were supposed to let me be God and you be you. And he goes on to say this in Romans 10, verse four. It says, for Christ is the end. Somebody say the end. Drop it in the chat. The end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is what this means. Christ was the end of the law as the means for us to be righteous in his sight, for us to live a righteous life. Christ put that sort of process, that mentality, that, that mind game that we had to place ourselves in a religious system to earn our righteousness, Christ put it to end. I don't know about you, but for a guy who stinks with rules, it's good news. For a guy with a sin pattern in his life, that is very good news. Christ put an end to it. No longer do I stand before God going, I earned this righteousness. I go, God, your righteousness that you gave to me was a free gift for every person who believes. The only prerequisite for you to have the righteousness of God is belief. So what God did through Jesus Christ is he got rid of the competition, now, normally is the part in the message where I get all preachy, I spit on the front row, I, I yell things that are great declarations, great truths, and people celebrate and cheer because Jesus put an end to the law. He got rid of sin in the flesh. No longer do I identify with God on the basis of my works, but now I, base, I, I identify with God on the basis of his gift that he gave me through Jesus Christ, which is when God looks at me, regardless of my actions, all he sees is the perfection of Christ. Now, normally we celebrate that. However, why do we feel so tired? The competition's gone. The game's won. Jesus won the game. No more striving. No more struggling. No more proving. But, but I'm, I'm still tired. Are you still tired? I'm still tired. Why are we still tired when the game's won? Why are we still tired when there's nothing to strive for, nothing to earn, nothing to achieve? We have everything that we need through Christ Jesus as a gift, not based upon your works. Why are we so tired? This has been the struggle of my own soul going, God, I know all of these things intuitively. I can preach the message and people will cheer, but I will leave the stage going, my gosh, I'm exhausted. 
I don't know that I could do this for much longer, not in this capacity, not this role. Maybe I'll do something different. Maybe I'll jump careers. Maybe I'll take a break. Maybe I need a long sabbatical to catch my breath. Maybe I just need to take a nap, but I'm still tired after all of my efforts. Why am I still so tired when the competition is done away with, when the game is won, my team won? Why am I still so tired? And what I started to think through is it's been a long time since I've played on a court since I've played on a field, since I've had to look at a scoreboard to know whether or not I'm winning or losing, but if I'm really honest, I live every day of my life with a scoreboard in my mind asking the question, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I healthy enough? Am I doing enough for my wife? Am I saying enough encouraging things to my kids? Am I being a good enough friend to my friends so that they love me back? Am I, am I spending enough time in God's word? Am I praying enough? Am I fasting enough? Am I worshiping enough? I'm exhausted because I don't know if what I'm doing is enough. I got a scoreboard in my mind, and I don't know about you, but it's exhausting. How is it that the game can be won, the, 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 the challenge can be over, yet I'm still fighting every day of my life asking the question, am I enough now? I've been in careers now for a while, and I'll get little jumps up in, in income and celebrate it for a moment, and then I go, but if I can just get to there, I think it'll really change the game for me. And you get there and it doesn't. If I could just be in this role where I'm calling the shots, it'll be so much easier. So I'm so, I'm so much smarter than the other guy. Then you get there and you go, man, but I'm still exhausted. Maybe, maybe if I get over there and what you realize is that there's this competing and this challenge within that is exhausting and you're always trying to level up. But can I ask you the question, who are you competing against? Because for me, one of the worst scoreboards that I look at on a consistent basis, if I get any downtime, if I get any time to actually rest, this is when the scoreboard starts going in my mind. I should be doing more. I shouldn't be sitting down right now. I shouldn't be on vacation. There's so much to do. I, I, I can't be resting because I, I, I got to keep going. I got to keep achieving. I got to keep proving. I got to keep earning. I got to keep. Yeah. One of the worst things for me is my cell phone. Scroll on social media, and now for some reason, everyone's in competition with me. That person travels more than me. I got to get traveling. It's been a while since I've traveled. Look at that guy's shoe game. Man, I need to get some new kicks. Look at that guy's car. That's amazing. Look at their house. Look at the family. They're spending so much time. The kids just love him. It's like they're, they're best friends. They're on another date night. Are you kidding me? Like, you want to see a discouraging couple, just look at Chip and Joanna Gaines, okay? My gosh, you want to provoke me to jealousy? Just let me watch a little fixer-upper. I'm like, Chip Gaines, so full of life. You're so funny. Everybody loves you. Hardworking and creative. But it begs the question, who are you competing against? Who is driving you to produce more, achieve more, do more, earn more? I want to propose to you a question that I think that it's probably you, provoking you to do more. Lean to your neighbor and tell him you're not the problem. 
You're not the problem. What I've slowly began to realize is that even as a Christian, sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm working off of God's scoreboard because no matter how many points I tally up, I get to the gym on time and I work out, that doesn't feel like enough points. And then I, tomorrow I'm gonna wake up a little bit earlier and I'm gonna get in the word before I do the gym. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work out longer this time. This time, this time it'll do it. No. Then you start realizing, well, I'm getting some results in the gym, but my gosh, I haven't been home and spent quality time with my family. I'm gonna get home early today and I'm gonna spend some time with my family. That feels pretty good. I got another point, but for some reason that still doesn't really feel like I'm doing enough. And, and maybe if I get the date night and maybe if I get the, the, the car, maybe if I get the promotion, maybe if I keep tallying up points, maybe I just need a few more points until I feel like I'm enough. Have you ever felt the rat race of trying to qualify yourself internally. Am I enough? Am I a good enough friend? Am I a good enough pastor? Do I pray enough to deserve to preach God's good news? And the ambition is futile. It never produces what you want. You will always leave yourself feeling exhausted. But what I've realized is is this isn't the only scoreboard in my life. I feel like there's another scoreboard, and it's a scoreboard like Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, who, all who are weary and, and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. And there's this invitation into rest. And so I know that the game is won, but I, I also have this competing scoreboard in the back of my mind that says at the same time, I'm not good enough, and I haven't earned the right into God's rest. I've realized over time that I don't think that there's just one scoreboard. I think there's two scoreboards. You think looking at one scoreboard is exhausting. Try looking at two all the time. Have you ever felt confused because the pressure of work pulls you in one direction and the pressure of God's word pulls you in another direction and then back over here to the stress of life and then back over here to the peace of God and back over here to the death that is found in the, in the grind and in the struggle and then back to joy because God, I know it's only found in you, but then have you ever felt that double-mindedness? Two ways of thinking, two ways of living, two ways of doing things and it's exhausting. Anybody felt that? The Bible speaks to this. Thank God. In Romans 8, verse, verse 1, it, it starts off this way. It says, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. So ground level, know that there's no condemnation. So whatever the scoreboard in your mind is telling you, it's canceled by the fact that Jesus says, don't condemn yourself, don't feel condemnation, don't feel set aside, don't feel guilt and shame. There's no condemnation for those of us that belong to Christ Jesus. And then he goes, and, and because you belong to him, somebody say, I belong to him. Because you belong to him. I think I have a typo. It says, the of the life-giving spirit. Power. Oh, the power. There we go. Thanks, Andrew. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. It has freed you from the power of sin. It has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 3 says, the law of Moses was unable, somebody say unable, unable to save us because of the weakness of our own sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in, in a body like the bodies we have as sinners. 
And then it says this, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Somebody in the front row better start clapping at all of our locations, and everybody will pick up with it. Verse 4 says this, he did this so. It's going to tell us why he did it. So that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, if you have your Bible, circle that, sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Huh. Two competing natures. Two competing mindsets. One is that of the natural, a sin nature. It's who we are by nature. No one had to teach us to go this direction. Our minds have to be trained, renewing of the mind, to think on things in order to follow the Spirit. And verse 5 says this, those who are dominated, notice dominated, think about the scoreboard of the law versus Ronnie, 99 to 0, that's dominated. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit, so two competing agendas, two competing ways to put points on the scoreboard. And then it says this, so letting your sinful nature control your mind, letting your sinful nature control your mind, letting you allowing me, letting my sinful nature control my mind leads to death. I said, do you feel exhausted? Letting your mind be led by a sinful nature, who you are naturally will lead to death. There's a solution. But letting, somebody say letting, letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Now, when we're talking scoreboards in the mind, the goal for us is I wanna have an abundant life and I wanna have peace, is it not? There's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online that wouldn't say, I want to feel life to the full, and I want to get peace inside that can't be taken away from me. The Bible says there's two competing ideologies, two scoreboards, two ways to tally up points. One will only lead to death and more death. It will only drive you deeper because it says, if a little bit of this sinful behavior, not partaking in God's quality of life, if a little bit of that didn't solve it, maybe more will. And maybe more will, and maybe more will. And the Bible says that sin only produces death and more death. That's why the glutton will eventually die from their cravings. The drug addict will eventually die from their cravings because a little bit wasn't enough. Maybe a lot more will help. That's how people spiral into debt like crazy. I thought buying the shoes would help. How about if I buy the bigger house, the bigger car? How about if I start gambling to make money faster than my income can bring in? And next thing you know, you are buried in debt wondering how on earth did I get here? It's because you were a slave in your mind to a sinful nature, who you are naturally. And the Bible says, but instead, let yourself. Can I tell you, allow yourself to be led by the Spirit of God. Allow it for a moment. Allow yourself to feel the pressures release and go, God, I'm going to live your way. I'm going to allow myself to live your way. I'm going to allow myself to be compelled by you rather than driven by the world's standards. Lead me versus let the world drive me. 
I've grown a distaste in my mouth for people that go, I'm driven, because it used to be me. Driven. I'm a driven person. I get stuff done. I'm on mission. I'm compelled by my sin nature to have more, do more, achieve more, earn more, beat out the other guy. The more that I mature in Christ, the more that I realize it's much more appealing, much more desirable. It is to be envied by the world when I allow myself to be led by the Spirit's leading, not the pressures of this world. I wonder, are you led or are you driven? I wonder, are you allowing the Spirit to lead you? You know, I've realized something that the more that my life gets cluttered and clouded and filled and pressure and my calendar gets filled up, the, 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 the less space God has to operate. Because I'm just on to the next thing. On to the next thing. Got to get it done. Got to meet with the next person. Do the next thing. Seal the next deal. Start the next company. Do the next. And what, what I realize is in order to let the Spirit lead me, I got to create space. But I'll never create space unless I turn off the scoreboard in my mind. I wonder if you could just make some space to let the Spirit lead you and watch as he produces life and peace. There's two scoreboards. And I wanna propose to you one of the main things that we need to do as believers because you can be saved yet still be driven by a sin nature. I said you can still be saved and still driven by your sin nature. You can, you can be saved by God and still driven by the world's standards for success and achieving and am I enough? Have I earned? Have I, have I gained enough approval? Have I done enough with my life? Am I significant enough? I've met so many people that go, I thought I'd be farther than I am right now in my career. Shouldn't I be doing more? I'm 30 years old for Pete's sake. They're compelled by a world's standard. So they're driven to achieve more, earn more, have more, and it leaves you feeling exhausted. Here's what we have to do. You gotta choose your scoreboard. You gotta choose what you let drive you. You gotta choose what you let have fruit in your life. The Bible says it's the Spirit's job to produce fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. If you create space for the Spirit to compel you, fruit will be produced naturally, not by your works. Everything God gives is a gift. You couldn't earn his blessing if you tried. You couldn't earn more financial breakthrough if you tried. You couldn't earn his grace. You couldn't earn his righteousness. You couldn't earn the fullness of life. You couldn't earn peace. You couldn't earn joy. And you sure as heck can't muster it up by yourself. It's a fruit of being led by the Spirit. I love the word lead because it literally means to create a path by going first. So what Jesus is going, and you can see this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, come with me. Do life with me, even Work with me, and I'll show you unforced rhythms of grace. You don't have to force your way when he took it for you. I wonder, what scoreboard are you choosing? What drives you when you wake up, stay-at-home mom? What do you feel guilt by? What do you feel discouraged by? What exhausts you on a deep soul level? 
I'm running, but I can't. I can't do enough. You have to choose your scoreboard. And here's what we know about the two scoreboards. And then I'm gonna wrap this up. One is a sure foundation. Being led by the Spirit of God is sure, it is true, it is solid, it won't move on you. The other's a moving target. You ever go to the gym and get in the swing of things and you're putting on muscle or you're losing fat, but there's always something you wanna tweak. Always something more you want. If I just lost five more pounds, if I just got the, went from the four pack to the eight pack, Oh, my deltoids could be a little bit bigger. There's always more. It's a moving target. And if you're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction from that, you just be ready. You're going to be on a treadmill and you'll move through this the rest of your life. And eventually your body's going to begin to decay and die. And your muscles are going to shrivel up. Unless you're Sean Johnson, you're going to get better like fine wine with age. <laughs> one's sure and one's a moving target. One's gonna require you to be tethered closely to Christ. It's gonna require you to train your mind to think about things that are supernatural rather than to be grounded in things that are your natural desires, the natural way you think, the natural way your family has thought, the natural way your job will train you to think, the natural ambitions of your life that just produce freely. You're gonna have to retrain yourself by being tethered closely to Christ and allowing his spirit to lead you. The other one is just a moving target. Just follow your own purposes, your own drives, your own ambitions. But here's, here's the thing that I want you to realize when you choose to go through the path and let your sin nature, allow your sin nature to drive you, you will be competing a game Jesus already won. So my invitation this weekend is, do you want rest for your soul? If so, choose the right scoreboard. One will require great faith, and the other will lead to your own death in your soul. Can I tell you that this is one of the best things God's taught me this season? Man, I'm just tired. I'm good, but I'm tired. I'm blessed, but I'm tired. The Apostle Paul felt this. I love what he says. He, he's, he's, he's lived a reality where he's played in both systems, and he says this in Philippians 3, 7. He says, once I thought these things were valuable, all my accolades, all my religious upstandedness, like I was born into the right family, I had all the right training, I was the guy, and I was zealous. I had more zeal than everybody else. And he says, once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. I consider them in my mind as worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8 says, yes, everything else is worthless in comparison. Those ambitions aren't worthless. It's just in comparison, they're worthless compared with the infinite value of just knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Watch this. For his sake, I've discarded everything else. AKA, because of what Christ wants to do, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ instead and become one with him. He says this, I no longer count. I no longer put points on the scoreboard, so don't count it. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, 
I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It's going to require faith, a changing of the way that you think. Verse 10 says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Friends, the Apostle Paul knew this after all of his accolades, all of his success. He's one of the most read theologians and writers in scripture of all time. God used him mightily, and it happened on the heels of him saying, everything else that I've achieved is garbage in comparison to knowing who Christ is. you got to choose your scoreboard. And I'm going to wrap up, but I want to make this really practical for us because some of you are leaving the high-pressure jobs. Some of you guys are leaving to kids that are just crazy, me included. And I, I, want to, I want to just tell this to you real quickly how God told it to me, and then we'll wrap up. You know, as we read Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. He went first. He led the way. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love it because God spoke to me there. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, I want to make this really practical. This is how you live this way. The Bible says it's an unforced rhythm. Everybody say rhythm. You can even tap your leg if you want. Create some rhythm, James Keithley. I want to make this really practical. Guys, can you help me play some music? They can help me play some music. Scott Miller, our MD, the master commander. You're good at piano, bro. What key are you in? E. Can you... Um, can you go to the one? It's pretty good. Can you go to the five? To the two? To the four? Was that hard for you? Would that have been hard for you? Yes. But, but Scott, you're different because you're gifted to do this. This is what you're called to do. You're walking in your calling. Didn't feel burdensome. I told you to do something on the fly. It didn't feel ill-fitting. Did just right. John, playing rhythm. Pepper and some pepper and some honey in this thing. Sauce it up. Sounds pretty good. Is that hard for you? Pepper in some leaves. Give us some sauce here. Come on. Is that hard for you? Guys, it's hard for you. Seems easy for you. It'd be hard for me, but it seems easy for you. It's what you're called to do. TJ. Anybody want to hear some strings? TJ, give us some strings, baby. Dive on in. Sounds good, almost effortless. Zach, give us some low end, baby. Give us some low end. Oh, come on, somebody, you felt that. I don't care where you are right now, you felt that. 
seems almost easy. It'd be hard for me, it burdens them for me, but it seemed easy for you, almost like you're graced to do this, almost like you're gifted to do this, almost like you're called to do this. Now, 2%, can you give us the meaning of rhythm? Can you lay something in? Can you bring this thing to a close? Come on. Come on. What might be difficult and burdensome for you is easy for them. Why? Because they're called. It feels like burden for you, but it sounds like worship to me from where I stand. When God invites us into rhythm, he says, do what you're called to do. Work hard. Put in long hours. Put in your energy. Put in your effort. But when you are fitting into what you're called to do, it's going to feel light and it's going to feel easy. All right, guys. Can we give it up for them? Let's give it up. People ask me the question, they go, Ronnie, is it hard to preach? You feel pressure, you have thousands of people and campuses, and you're teaching God's word, it's challenging. And Sean says 150 countries that we're preaching to, does it ever get burdensome or tiresome? Or do you ever feel like anxious, get butterflies? And the answer is honestly, no. I feel so much grace when I do this because I'm called to do this. To you, it appears like a great burden. To me, it's a privilege. When it becomes a burden for me is when preaching becomes my scoreboard. See, God has naturally wired you and gifted you to do some things in your sleep that others would go, how do you do that? The way that you live freely and lightly, you work in your calling is when you just lean into how God made you, you lean into the natural wirings of your heart, you express them. The Bible says work, but work is unto the Lord, meaning everything that I do is gonna edify exactly how you made me. It's gonna celebrate the way that you've wired me. And, and what you're gonna realize is that as you do that, it's gonna be easy. But if being a good mom is also your scorecard, watch it exhaust you because you'll never be good enough. You want to be a preacher? Be a preacher, but don't let it become your scorecard. You want to be used by God? Be used by God, but don't let it become your scorecard. You want to own a business? Be a good leader. Be a good follower of Christ. Go and do that freely. Be led by His Spirit into it. Give yourself wholly to it, but don't let it become your scorecard because it will never, ever, ever change how He sees you how he values you, how he will use you in the future. The way you live freely and lightly is you live the way God made you. But it doesn't judge how, how I feel. I don't walk off this stage going, somebody else preach better. They preach to more people. They preach shorter. Come on, somebody. More likes on Facebook, more views on YouTube. How, how are they doing? It's not my scorecard. At all locations, would you stand to your feet? And I'm going to just declare some things over us today. I want to break off and I want God to begin to let grace keep the score in your life. And the way that you allow grace to keep the score is by doing this. Kill the scoreboard in your mind. Shut it off. Remove its power and allow the Spirit of God to compel you and you will watch as God can do more to your life than you could ever do through your own efforts. God, I pray right now for every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that you would break off the drive and ambition that is wearing people out, the drive and desire to have more and be more and attain more. God, I pray in this moment, would you kill the scoreboards in our minds and would you quickly course correct us back 
to being led by your spirit, being led by your grace. Let grace keep the score in our lives. God, what you've done on the cross is everything that we've longed for. We don't want to try to win a game you've already completed. And so God, our prayer today is that we would make some room for you. We'd create some space for you. God, Holy Spirit, to do whatever you want to in our life. Compel us, lead us, guide us, change us, convict us. And God, we'll let you keep the score. We'll let you keep the score. We'll let grace keep the score. Grace defines who we are. Grace defines our confidence. And we just declare these things over our lives. And God, as we sing and as we pray, I pray you do a profound work in people's lives all around the world. And we pray these all in rested souls and everybody across the world at Red Rocks Church said, amen, 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 amen. Come on, let's just give him over our scoreboard. Kill the scoreboard and let's celebrate as we're able to be led by the Spirit of God. Let's worship. <laughs>